And now I guess he feels a little bit emboldened. He must be careful with what he says. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Uh, racism is essentially a white problem. For you to understand what racism is about, you're going to be so uncomfortable. As Christians, we love the homosexual and the transgender. Homosexuality is sin. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business, you want to be successful, you want to be like Trump. Gimme, 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 push, 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 push. Step, 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 crush, crush, crush. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. All right, folks. All right. We are back. Here we go. Here we go. Here we are in March. Uh, Wow. You know, the year is just uh, moving right along, isn't it? Well, welcome to those uh, who are new to Profane Faith. If you're a new listener, thank you for uh, checking this podcast out. Uh, If you're true and faithful, uh, it's always good to have you back. And, uh, you know, keeping up with the times and whatnot. Um, wow. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. Uh, <laughs> well, there always is. Right. There always is. It just seems. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I in one of the classes I teach social media, friends and family. Um, I do a breakdown of the eras starting from World War Two up until the present. And yeah, I kind of name off um, some of the major um, events that have happened um, in, you know, just in that have helped shape the the culture and really where we find ourselves in the u.s um and of course there's more to the history but i'm mainly looking at aspects of popular culture popular music um religion um and so much that happened prior to world war ii uh was still steeped in kind of a modern soul context i make the argument in case that the post-soul post-modern uh kind of took hold uh, around between you know between the end of the world war end of world war ii uh end of the 60s into the vietnam war um i talk a little bit about this in homeland insecurity um i also talk about this in hip-hop's hostile gospel uh so those are two books that i have written and uh kind of lay out that in, in a lot more detail uh than i'm doing here but uh it, it, it I, I i say all that to say that there's been major events right it's like uh, the rise of the black middle class in the 50s and 60s, the decline of the black middle class in the 70s. Um, you know, you have a rise of a civil rights movement and, you know, black leaders being killed off at an enormous rate or being sent off into exile or thrown into prison. Um, you've also got uh, in, you know, in the 80s, you've got the rise of popular culture, the, uh, you know, the when you have a movie star as the president, right? You, uh, that that says a lot about that time, right? You know, in, in terms of excess and, you know, there was no care of tomorrow. The Cold War was in high, uh, you know, high sale. And, uh, you know, I talk about 1991 as being kind of the entry of critical inquiry and the development of the internet. Um, and then of course we talk about 2001, September 11th, 2001, right? Uh, Post 9-11 America. Um, and then I kind of get into the, you know, more of the, some of the more current events, uh, obviously the election 
2008 of Barack Obama, um, you know, signified a, a shift uh, in how we look at race, uh, really the politics of identity, um, how we take and manufacture religion and evangelicalism. Um, we really begin to see the first wave of the right um, really developing its, its really for where it's at now, right? Like there's no shame of, of just, you know, dogging, you know, ethnic minorities out, voters' rights, right? Um, you know, it's just like there's no, there's no no sense of like, you know, chivalry <laughs> in one sense, right? Like, I mean, think about it. Think about the, uh, the debates between um, Barack Obama, then Senator Obama, um, and Senator McCain. Um, and there's this one now infamous clip of uh, Senator McCain um, having, you know, a conversation talking about what he's going to do if he's elected as president. Uh, and there's a woman, you know, in the audience that says, you know, well, they, you know, Obama's a, a Muslim and he's, you know, he's just this and this woo -woo, a lot of the shit that we hear now. Right. Um, and, you know, like, you know, McCain shut that shit down like quick with a quickness, boy. He was just like, oh, no, 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 man. Mm -mm, no, he's not that. He's a very good man. He's, you know, he's we as a family man. Like and he likes defending him, and you know, and, and but but keeping it real, right? Like you know, we don't agree on everything, and you know, we would run the country in probably two different ways. He's like, but he's no, he's not a Muslim. And think about that as opposed to the 2016, right? And then that shift, right? Really, the eruption of what was boiling already in 2008. Um, you know, because and, and I said this, I think I said this the final year. Well, my podcast wasn't on in 2009, but the next year in 2009, you know, I brought this whole thing up about, um, you, you know, that the rise in hate crimes against, you know, black folks, it skyrocketed in less than a year uh, with the election of Barack Obama. And, uh, you know, people are like, ah, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, you have Black Lives Matter. You have Trayvon Martin. You have. You know, the list goes on, right? Mike Brown. Um, and then you have the election, right? Just of this kind of openly just I, I don't give a shit about anybody. But it wasn't just Trump. And I've said this before. It was the era that Trump brought in, which is the era of misinformation, uh, the era of oversaturation of social media, uh, the era of, you know, non-privacy. Right. Uh, we got the era of really you know where where social media likes and follows were really uh, a currency um you know as opposed to you know um well not as opposed to anything i mean it's it it social media really is the place where so many people get their news um and yeah i'll start there i ain't gonna lie but as, as i've talked about before um, that's not the end space for me. I'll go to the LA Times, the New York Times, Boston Globe, Chicago Sun Times, right? Washington Post, you know, and maybe some of these other ones, Al Jazeera and whatnot, AP, and look and see and check and try to get my facts set up. Um, but the 2016 election really showed, right, what, what interference from a foreign country uh, looks like. Um, it, it, it revealed a lot in regards to religion. You know, evangelicals just dug their heels in even more. Right. Like, you know, we're right. You're wrong. And y'all going to go hell. <laughs> uh, and so it's it's an era. And so with eras, there are players, there are figures, there are tropes, there are mantras. And uh, with each era and with the shifting um, of different eras and whatnot. Um, but, you know, and I'm not one to say, oh, the Internet is ruining your country. No, 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 no. Anytime you have a new form of media, 
you can just study the last hundred years of, you know, how, you know, different forms of media have risen. You always get right. This kind of suspicion and people are like, oh, my gosh. I mean, they said that about radio. They said that about the newspapers. Uh, they said that uh, even about the printing press. Right. That uh, I mean, so there's there's all along. Right. There's this sense that, oh, my gosh, where the end of the world is near. Um I don't believe the end of the world is near, but I do believe we are at an apex or coming to an apex in society, um, you know, with where we're at. You know, you think about how the pandemic was handled. Uh, think about how information was disseminated with that. Think about just the pressure. I mean, like, you know, mass mandates. Right. They're going away, you know, like just in time for <laughs> midterm elections. Like really, Democrats, like, you don't think we see that. But, you know, uh, it's it's the area we live in. And, and granted, right, the, the other side of that coin is I, I get it. I mean, at least here in Illinois, numbers are below 2%. I mean, in fact, I think we're at 1% now in terms of infection rates. And I know at my you know particular university, they don't have any infection rates like right now. Uh, at least that's what the numbers are saying. Well, you know, whether it's true or not, that's another story. But, you know, and that's and that's part of it, though, right? It's like there's a sense of we got to question everything. Like, is this really what's going on right you know it's it and it's part of the era of the deep fake right when you can you know have a picture of a celebrity and you know mimic their voice their lips and it makes it look like they're actually saying this stuff when they're not um you know we're in a different space we're in a different time we're in a different uh era and and it's and it's really uncharted territory and really the last you know 50 years has really been uncharted territory with the advent of television, with the advent of globalization, with the advent of, uh, you know, a market going global. Right. This is kind of the first time, at least that we know of in human history, that uh, we're this, um, you know, connected to each other in the world. Right. Um, and, you know, it uh, it affects things. Right. We got this war going on excuse me, uh, in uh, Ukraine. Um, and I'll be honest. I mean, I know some of y'all have probably already seen, you know, some of the racist newscasters talking about how this, you know, shouldn't be happening to Ukraine. It is different because these are white Europeans. They're Christians. They're upper middle class, right? They're civilized, right? I'm sure you've seen some of those. If you haven't, just type in racist newscasters in Ukraine um, and you'll find all kind of crazy stuff. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's it's and even even the war. I mean, this is one of the things I have my students doing right now. It's like they are looking at some of the information coming out from both sides. Right. I mean, Russia and the U.S., for that matter, are notorious for hiring actors and, you know, have playing this really deadly game of, you know, like, see what's going on here. This is why we're attacking and stuff. And so there's a sense of, you know, brought up information that's fake. Uh, but that kind of gives the justification for uh, an attack uh, and, and whatnot. At the same time, I will say that, you know, as I've been looking at it and studying it and, and really looking at where, how can I put this? There's a lot more to it. But, you know, when you think about neo-Nazis and I'm not saying the president of Ukraine is a neo-Nazi. I get that. However... <laughs> that doesn't make, you know, just when like Barack Obama, when he was elected to the, you know, to the U.S. presidency, that didn't mean that white races stopped being, you know, what they were, right? It's like, oh, well, America's not a, U.S. is not a, a, a racist country. Look, they have a black president. How can they be? Nah, man. So that is, and that's something that goes all the way even back to 2014. If, you know, if you're studying this stuff, you know, and just really how the U.S. CIA and the FBI really helped, or really the military you know, helped empower uh, some of these really 
militia groups that were associated with neo-Nazism. Um, and, you know, and that's been going on for years, though, right? It's like you think about uh, Werner von Braun. Uh, a lot of you probably don't even know, might not know who that is. I won't make that assumption. You might not know who that is. That is really we wouldn't have a NASA if it wasn't for von Braun. Uh, he was uh, a Nazi. Uh, he was captured uh, and he came over to work for NASA and really helped develop because Hitler had rockets um, that were way more um, accurate and way more technologically advanced than the U.S. Uh, and it was when the U.S. won that they got von Braun and von Braun came on over and built uh, the first the whole Mercury program. It was really designed the Apollo um, uh, mission rockets and stuff, man. So, you know, this type of stuff, right? <laughs> That's why I laugh in the face of anybody who's just like, oh, you know, we believe in what's pure and what's right. And like, no, you don't. No, you don't. That is just the social, right? That is just a, what, a wanted social construction of reality. That has nothing to do with the with with what really is. Um, so I don't know. I don't I don't agree with what Putin is doing. I mean, I don't believe what Putin has to say. At the same time, I, it's also very, you know, similar to when the U.S. invaded Iraq and, uh, you know, both in the 90s and in the in the early 2000s, uh, you know, in, in pursuit of mass weapons of mass destruction. If you remember, right, uh, the U.N. and other folks as well were saying, uh, U.S., I don't think y'all need to be going into Iraq. They, they had nothing to do with 9-11. And this is this is not a good thing. I don't know if y'all remember. You're old enough to remember, you know, there was a whole bunch of people here saying no to war. Just say no to war. And for like, you know three, four, five years, really the, even the reelection of Bush, you know, Jr. Um, there was that, you know, that, that whole stance, you know, against the war. So we're in some crazy shit right now. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is the fact that I think we're trying to figure out as a society, you know, which way do we go? Um, and I don't see how we can move forward as a society when you're still dealing with such inequity. I mean, I'm not a billionaire, right? I don't have rockets out. I'm not going out into space and shit. Uh, so I get that that is probably different, right? The different point of view from somebody who is like an Elon Musk, you know, who's thinking about SpaceX and thinking about, you know, the next big thing, the next world to conquer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these, these are just some of the things, you know, rattling around in my mind. And again, if this is your first time uh, to Profane Faith, it might all kind of be new. Go back, check out some of the previous episodes. They're all there. They're all cataloged. Um, but I, I do find it very interesting uh, just how social media, the the press in, in general, right, is 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 on both sides, right? And, you know, and, and just how much this stuff is being put out on the internet. I mean, if Vietnam utilized, or Vietnam reporters, like journalists, utilized the power of television, which was was really a new medium uh, at that time, uh, because most households really were coming from radio, the radio era, and now we're visually seeing what a war is, right, in the, in the 60s and, and 70s. Um, if that was what it was for the Vietnam, the internet, right? TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, that is exactly what that is now, this new medium uh, for soldiers right now. Um, so it's it's fascinating to me to see some of that and to see some of the things in real time. And I also ask myself, is this real? Like, is this really happening? Like, um, it, it, or was this made up? Now, don't get me wrong, I don't disbelieve everything. I mean, I do believe, you know, it's like I'm seeing reports, right, from multiple news sources that's saying that, you know, they call for a ceasefire, but Putin didn't, you know, respect that, and he's still bombing civilians and stuff, man. So, you know, there's some crazy shit going on, you know, and 
you know, of course, he's talked about nuclear this and nuclear that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, absolutely it could happen. I mean, I think that, you know, there's it, it, we have we are always on the precipice of the brink of a nuclear disaster. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Right. We'll see what happens. Uh, and uh, I just I kind of keep just seeing that, you know, you know, with that. And, you know, and particularly just, you know, just the, the assumptions that people make. Uh, particularly reporters uh, in regards to the Ukraine, like, oh, the U.S. has never seen something like this. Like, well, who are you talking about? Because black folk have, Mexican folk have, and been damn sure you indigenous folks living here, you damn sure seen the uprooting and bombing of places and stuff, man, in in this country. Um, so, you know, again, check the history. So, anyways, let me talk to uh, let me talk about talk to you about my guest this week. I'm excited. Uh, so, I met Ashley. Um, Literally on, uh, I, I I was going through tweets one day because I, you know, I'm, I'm banned off of Twitter, but I do have my Profane Faith account, which, if, by the way, if you're not following, please follow. Um, and mainly I just post like some updates and every now and then I retweet some good shit that I find. Uh, but anyways, I was looking at somebody else's tweets and I was like, oh, this is a great conversation. And I was noticing, I was like, man, this person is just like, this is person's going in. This is some good shit. And I was like, I got to see who this is. And I looked up and it was Ashley. And I was like, oh. I'm just going to reach out like like we never met before. We have you know, we have obviously some um, overlap and friends and in, 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 in spaces and community and everything. Uh, but I just reached out and I was just like, hey, this may sound too forward, uh, but I would love to get you on my podcast. And she said, yes, she responded and we set up a time and I was so excited. Yo, the story this person is about to lay down is amazing okay this is why i asked the question right you know what's been happening from birth to now um this she's just amazing i'm just sitting there like wow um she's ex-evangelical um she's also a writer i'm gonna post all these links of course in the show notes um she's a podcast junkie and that was also what you know in her bio i was like oh podcast junkie well come on now uh trauma survivor um and uh you know she i, I love her posts it's, it has just amount the right amount of snark uh and it, and uh i just like her love her perspective um on on life and so i was like let's just get you on the show so we connected we talked um, and it's really a great story listening of, of the process and really the journey of somebody leaving evangelical context because that shit is is tough fam it's real tough and it, you know and I don't I don't knock anybody especially for those who are on the fence I know some people who listen to the show are kind of like you know like they're you know they're still in the closet right they're still in the closet and I get that I respect that I, I get that because it's a lot it's a lot and Ashley's story um, uh, is is riveting and and it also connects with just that journey and that process and again I'm so glad to have had her on and I can assure you this will not be the last time so without any further ado I'm so happy to bring Ashley Dunstan on Profane Faith check out this conversation fam Well, uh, Ashley, thank you for taking time coming on the show, and uh, I'm excited to hear just uh, how you've become the Ashley. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, um. Well, I ask everybody the the same question to start off with: What has been happening from birth to now? What is what is what is how has that journey shaped and come around and all that good stuff? 
All right. Yeah. So, I mean, and feel free to stop and ask questions because I feel like there's so many tangents to. Oh, I love tangents. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, I I grew up in uh, Colorado Springs. Okay. Okay. Um, which is like, you know, if you know anything about that place, it's very Christian. Yep. Very conservative. You know, it's kind of just the epicenter of, of all of that. Um, and so I grew up, um, you know, upper middle class, um, very, uh, you know, just very big house up you know, in the mountains area, um, okay. I'm the oldest kids, I have two younger brothers, two younger sisters. Um, my parents had me very young. My mom was 17. Um, and, um, they just sort of, you know, went from being, um, you know, the small little family in Colorado Springs to my dad starting to, uh, make a lot of money and then, you know, moving to the suburbs and kind of just, um, really starting to fit in with the rich white Republican culture that is Colorado Springs and the surrounding areas. Um, and so I really grew up just being like, my, my mom had all five of us within eight years. And so, um, I, and, and my mom and I, I feel like we're so close in age that I, we grew up kind of as, sisters or I even like to say sister wives because we were just always taking care of my siblings. I was the oldest and I, um, you know, I just helped my mom out a lot. I don't really have memories of having much of a childhood because I was so much like the, the mother's helper. And, um, most of my childhood memories deal with like taking care of my siblings and they to this day are still the most important people in my life. But, um, I very much was like a junior parent in that way. Um, and so the culture that I grew up in, in conservative Colorado Springs was this idea that the best thing you could do with your life is to be married with children. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and even if you don't necessarily have that strong of a faith, you're still doing God's will. If you get married in a heterosexual <laughs> monogamous relationship and, right. then have, and then you have children. Um, and so that was always kind of ingrained in everything in that culture, at least for girls was like teaching you how to be a good wife and mother. Um, and so of course, a lot of that goes into, um, you know, policing girls' bodies and purity culture and, and this idea that the best thing you can be is a pure person for your husband one day. Um, and mm. so like that was what I was um, growing up around. And um, I I had, um, and, and of course now I'm talking about this, it's all hindsight 2020, but um, when you're in it, you don't know that you're you know, you don't know what you're in. So to me, this was all just very normal. Um, looking back, and this is just stuff that I have, you know, in the past five or so years really come to realize is that um, that particular brand of Christianity that I grew up around, the white, conservative, um, rich type of bullying Christianity um, that my dad was gravitating towards so much, it is a magnet for narcissists and so <laughs> yeah I, and it's obviously very clear now looking back but um you know my dad was is a narcissist oh. um and so so many of the people in that culture that i grew up around i was like oh 
you know, yeah, that makes sense that it is a magnet for narcissism. So my dad and a lot of other men in my church and people in my church are, you know, that's who they are. So I just thought it was normal, you know, the way that he treated us, the way that he treated my mom. But now I'm seeing like, oh, this is narcissistic abuse. Um, And so I was very, um, as far as church goes, I was very involved with my youth group when I started getting into middle school and high school. Um, and I stayed involved even through my first couple of years of college. I, I lived at home um, just so I could stay plugged into the youth group and, and like kind of help lead as a college leader. Um, so I like led small groups. I was very into all the youth group stuff, um, really close with my youth leaders. That was mm. kind of my, um, I don't know, I guess like that youth group was kind of my one place that I felt like I fit in because like, you know, I was a very, shy, quiet kid at school. I went to public school. Um, so I felt very like, you know, kind of like a nerd. I was into books and writing and all that stuff. And, um, and so I, I liked youth group because it felt like I was accepted there. I really, um, you know, I bought into all the Christianity stuff and it made a lot of sense to me. Um, and it was really an escape from, you know, the, the hardships at, at home. I, like I said, I had um, a narcissistic father and he really fixated on on me as opposed to the other. I mean, he was awful to all my siblings in different ways. But for mm. me specifically, um, usually narcissists have a scapegoat and I, I kind of fall into that, um, that I was Damn. a scapegoat in the sense that, um, you know, during my uh, puberty, adolescence, I started to gain a lot of weight. And, um, that was horrible for my dad. His, he was very much all about image. And, um, mm. you know, all my, my mom is gorgeous. My, my siblings are all good looking. And I was like the one part of the family who was very ashamed of. And my dad became very obsessed with, um, my weight and, um, be, kind of went on this tirade of just, finding ways to make me lose weight. So like, you know, that was like the only relationship I had with my dad was his, um, constant, uh, you know, comments and ideas and ways to make me lose weight. So I've got the, it's like a double whammy of like the Christian dad, you know, like this. And, and it was, it was kind of perfect because he was able to weaponize my faith to say like, you know, you are, um, not treating your body as a temple if you are overweight, you know? Oh, oh, he didn't. Yeah. And so that was a big part of it too. Pretty much every conversation we had as father and daughter somehow circled back to me losing weight. And, um, my siblings were very much like when you learn about narcissistic family systems, it all makes a lot of sense. But like, um, my siblings wanted to, you know, cause it's a survival technique. You want to avoid getting in bad graces with the narcissist. So my siblings, you know, they, they latched on to that thing. So they became his, um, I don't know, like, like they, they were expected to tattle on me to my dad. If I was eating, if I was not, um, you Dear know, following God, Ashley, So like, it was very much like it put this weird, like, um, dynamic between my siblings too, because Um, like the story that my dad was telling our whole family, um, and, and no one was exempt from, from believing this, not even my mom, but the whole story he's telling is like, 
the worst thing you can be aside from an atheist is a fat person. And so, you know, that was kind of like the idea, you know, behind it. Um, Damn. So, so that's kind of like what I was going through at home. And then youth group was great because I felt like I had these friends and these youth pastors who just really loved me, even though I was a bigger person, even though I was, um, you know, like maybe not popular at school and that I looked a certain way. It felt to me like, you know, God, okay, God accepts you no matter what. And that was like my, my comfort in a way and why I think I latched on to Christianity so much. Um, you know, but then my dad was also poisoning that mindset because it was like, okay, but my dad says I'm disappointing God because I'm, you know, whatever you want to say is like your, your gluttonous or your, you know, whatever. Um, and so it was very, um, it all boiled down to like what I was saying earlier mm-hmm. that um, my dad wanted, he didn't really care about me going and getting a career and, and having, you know, uh, aspirations. That was more like things for my brothers. Cause they would have to be the providers for me and my sisters. <laughs> the best thing we could be was a wife. And so like, there was never a lot of talk about college for me or like future things. It was like, Oh, Ashley's really good with kids. The default is that she's going to be a mother. Um, but as my dad would often say, you won't be able to attract a good husband if you do not lose weight. Um, and so it all kind of, you know, wrapped up together. Um, and so there was, and it was hard because I, it was like living in this paradox of like, I, I loved my church and my friends at church and my leaders at church, but at the same time, like, I, when I would open up to them, when I would tell them like about how my dad treated me or, and this was like backing up a little, this was like early two thousands. So like youth group was like all the rage and it was a big thing and social media hadn't really taken off. Exactly. Yeah. um, You know, most of my, yeah, like MySpace (laughs) was about it. And that was like late high school for me, but like most of my conversations with people weren't like text messages or anything. It was like really like, vulnerable face-to-face conversations I was having with, um, friends, uh, parents of my friends who were, you know, leaders in the church. And I was pretty open with them about like, you know, Hey, this is how my dad's treating me. Like this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem, you know, and, and I, I mean, I guess they were kind of between a rock and a hard place because they felt bad for me, but also like, it's one of those situations where they're like, well, I don't know if this is considered abuse. I don't know if this is something I can report. You know, it's like this weird gray area. And then also my dad was such a um, prominent figure in the community and, um, you know, had a lot of money, was well known for being very generous with his money, not just with the church, but just individuals. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. they had a lot of vested interest in just not saying anything and not doing anything. Um, and just kind of being like, you know, I'm really sorry, but you know, maybe you can do this and maybe you can kind of, you know, try to appease him this way. And, and, you know, it just, it was very disheartening to be like, you guys are preaching all of this about God, but when it comes down to like actually helping your, your flock, if you will, you're kind of shying away because this powerful person in the community you know, you don't want to, you don't want to touch. And so they still are like buddy, buddy with him at church. They're very, and I'm like, I just told you, you know, like the other night at Bible study, like, 
all these things that he says about me that he does like it, you know, he completely like ruined my relationship with food. I still don't know how to, how to feed myself as an adult. You know, everything was locked up. Everything was like, wait, locked up. And like, I mean, like pantry was, was locked up. The, the rule was like, I couldn't eat unless I asked. And so it was like, wait, wait, okay. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. Time out, time out. (laughs) You had food on lockup? God damn. And it was like, and it sucked because then my siblings like were mad at me because they're like, oh, our food wouldn't have to be all like locked up if you weren't, you know? So like it was all came back to me, you know? And so it was this whole thing where like it was, um, you know, and I, and, and my mom was definitely a lot more open and lenient with me about things and if my dad wasn't around she definitely you know she she would let me have access to food and things but like um you know i mean looking back she was she was deeply abused by him too and and again like i i think that those kind of things run run deep you know and so anyway like the thing is like none of this of how my dad treated me was like a huge secret like everybody fucking knew and like (laughs) nobody did anything you know right 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 and, and so that was like really upsetting because it was like, well, then I like, then I must be the issue because none of these adults in my life are standing up to him. So it's gotta be that he, um, you know, that, that he is, has a point or that, you know, and so that's kind of what I was, um, what I was thinking. And I, I continued to be a really good kid throughout high school. Like I said, I was involved in youth group. Um, I stayed home my first two years of of college because I wanted to, um, you know, stay close to my youth group, help out with the high school youth group as a college leader. Um, I was always just such a good kid. And um, but again, like none of that really seemed to matter to my dad because it was like, well, but you're still not you know, you don't look the way I want you to, uh, to look. And it just became this like obsession of his. And, um, when I was, uh, a sophomore in college, I was just at a junior college and living at home. And, um, my younger brother, who's a year younger than me, went out to California to Azusa Pacific university. I used used to Um, teach there. So I got, I got plenty of stories. So, but please continue. So uh, so my younger brother went out there for his freshman year of college. um, And we went out to visit him during like their homecoming week. And Mm. I really liked the culture of like a Christian college. This is really cool. Like, you know, people my age, but they all have God. It's not the, what I assumed would be like the toxic uh, college experience <laughs> right. drinking and stuff. So, cause I was kind of like, you know, apprehensive about having the college experience. And so that's why I had stayed home. Um, but then I saw my brother's experience and I was like, this seems really cool. So I started researching, um, different, uh, colleges out in California. I was like, it could be fun just to kind of, you know, go somewhere new, do something totally different. And, um, cause I didn't want to go to the same school as my brother. I kind of just wanted to, you know, do something on my own. Yeah. And I found it college in Southern California, uh, called Vanguard university. Oh my God. A- I taught there too. I was, I, it was in the study abroad. I think it was Vespa Vanguard European study abroad program. And okay. it was connected to the sociology department at that, at that point. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I, um, <laughs> 
funny. That I is so funny. Wow. So connected. It's crazy. It is. Like I know. I know. It's just for tour yeah. Twitter <laughs> putting <laughs> us together. Right. Okay. So Vanguard. I, yeah. So I found Vanguard. I went out and visited and I loved it. I was like, it's a small, you know, it's a small Christian college. It was uh, right near the beach. That was a mm-hmm. huge part of it. Um, and my, so yeah, I just, I went out for a little visit with uh, my mom and did like the, we just checked out the campus and spent like a weekend down there. Um, and then I ended up applying and, um, as, as a transfer, you know, to transfer in. And, um, that was like early, um, 2009 and I got in, um, and I was an English major. That was my, you know, field of, of study. Um, but so I got in and I would, um, for the fall of 2009, um, and, I had, so early 2009, after I had gotten accepted there, um, I went on a retreat with my youth group. Um, I was a college leader for like a middle, I think it was a middle school, like winter retreat. We had these cabins up in the mountains. And so I was gone for like a weekend. Um, and I came back down from that retreat, I remember. And I, um, I was like, I hadn't even unpacked yet. I was getting, uh, I was getting unpacked and my dad was home. My mom wasn't for some reason, my dad was home. And um, he's like, hey, before you start unpacking, can I can I talk to you for a minute in the office? And so um, he, uh, this was like I said, early two thousand nine. Internet was not super super huge yet. <laughs> right. Like just just learning how to use a computer, you know. Um, and so went to the office, and he had his laptop um, pulled up, and he had YouTube open. Okay. And uh, he was like, I really think. Um, you need to watch this, this video with me. And, um, I want to talk to you about some stuff about, you know, making the decision to go to Vanguard. And, um, he, he showed me this video on YouTube, which was a, um, discovery plot from the discovery channel, like discovery health. And it was about, um, this particular doctor and, um, person they were doing this like little documentary on about a, weight loss surgery, a gastric bypass weight loss surgery. So it was like a, you know, 15, 20 minute segment on the discovery channel. And, uh, about this particular, I won't, you know, totally get into it, but it was, it's a variation of the traditional gastric bypass surgery that, um, has is newer and has been known to have, um, more long lasting results, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, the other part of this surgery is that, um, the, the qualifications to be accepted as a patient are not as um, strict as, say, would be for the traditional um, gastric bypass. Because I, as I was at that age, my health was great. My health was, you know, I didn't have any issues. I didn't have diabetes. My BMI was not enough for insurance or doctors to consider gastric bypass. Like I wasn't heavy enough. So regular doctors, you know, I guess my dad had looked into this, would not have, you know, accepted me as a patient because I was so young and otherwise healthy. This particular doctor he found probably would have, and it was a doctor out in Las Vegas. And, um, and so my dad was like, before, um, you know, he's like, I really think that God's plan is for, is for you to go to Vanguard, get your education. And he's like, I really believe that God has the person that you're supposed to marry. I believe that's that you'll meet him at Vanguard. You know, that whole idea that God like predestines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he's like, but 
<laughs> he said, but I'm afraid that that man, that great man that God has for you is going to overlook you if you look how you do now. Damn. Like, I just want everything to be right when you meet this guy. And so basically his um, ultimatum was if I get this surgery, he will fund my, my college education to, to Vanguard. Um, because, you know, he said people, this is like an actual quote, like people who live in California are fit and good looking and like, that's what you need to be. Um, and so, what? Oh. yeah. And, uh, and so that night I remember thinking like, and that I feel like that was like the last like rational thought I had for a, a decade. But I, I remember thinking like, as soon as my mom gets home, I'm going to tell her and she's going to be so pissed. And like, she's going to leave him. Like, this is finally going to be the day that she leaves him because like, this is fucking crazy. But then right. I, I thought about it. I, I actually thought about it a little more as I'm like unpacking my stuff from this retreat. And I was like, dude, if I do this, like, and at this point I was still very religious and I was praying and stuff. And I thought like, you know, if I do this, my dad's finally going to be off my back about this. Like we will, this mm. will transform our relationship if mm. I'm thin and he doesn't have to, you know, be on my case about this. And like, he's finally going to love me, you know, if I'm, if I'm a thin person, spoiler alert, narcissists don't work that way, but uh, <laughs> like, right. Right. Um, but that was my rationale at the moment. And so when my mom got home, instead of like, you know, like telling her like, he's fucking crazy. Like, you know, which I, I think might've been a way better idea, but I, I told my mom like, yeah, you know, dad showed me this. I really think I want to look into it. Um, so yeah, long story short, April, late April of 2009, I got the surgery. Oh, wow. Then August 2009, I started um, school at Vanguard. I moved out there by that point. By the time I started at Vanguard, I had already lost like 40, 50 pounds. And then I continued losing weight like my first year there. Okay. So like the people who saw me and, and who met me at Vanguard, my friends and roommates and stuff, like they, you know, they they had already, when they first met me, I'd already lost a lot of weight. So like they didn't see quite as much of the transformation. Um, but it was definitely like, it was a crazy year because it was like I was changing so rapidly. I was losing weight really fast, you know, going through clothes like crazy. And like, um, you know, it was, it was also kind of fun because I was living like on my own for the first time in this like Christian college. We're right next to Disneyland. We're right next to the beach. Like I was having a really good time with like this new life of mine, you know, and this idea and, and, and so much brainwashing in my head being like, my dad was right. This is the life God always wanted for me. Like this idea that I wasn't living a full life because I wasn't thin. And so all of those things, you know, were going through my mind and like the, the physical, I, I did okay mostly with the physical side effects of the surgery, but like that first year was, was hard. Like eating made me so nauseous, so tired. Like I would always have to go take a nap after lunch or something like it was just, it was a lot. It's a lot to like lose that much of your, your body weight Oof. and you know, your vitamin deficiencies go down, your muscle mass goes down. So like it hurt to sit down because like, you know, your butt's like really bony now. And so like all these weird things that I'm going through as a 20 year old and then like having attention from guys for the first time, that was weird. Um, 
and like having, so like within a year from like April to April from the surgery to a year later, I lost about a hundred ish pounds around there. And so, um, and that was in, yeah, like, so 2010, I guess. So from 2010 till now, pretty much stayed the, the same give or take. Um, but you know, I kind of saw it as like, cool, this is my new life and everything is, is fine now. Um, and so I started focusing on my, my Christian education at, at Vanguard. Um, and so I, um, I mean, looking back, I loved my professors at Vanguard a lot and I had a lot of really cool, um, you know, really great experiences there. Vanguard as a whole, as an institution, I, had a lot of issues with, you know, just, it's a Christian college, like the administration, there's always going to be bullshit there, but it was like, it really was like a chance for me to kind of pick up where I left off in, in a way of like, okay, this is like, I want to, um, you know, I, I want to focus on myself and, um, dig into my education and dig into my faith and what I actually believe. It kind of felt like now that I didn't have, now that I was away from home, I didn't have this quote unquote issue of my, my weight that seemed to be holding me back. I was free to kind of, you know, explore things. And, um, it was funny. There was a professor at our college an anthropology professor, and he referred to Vanguard as Christian Disneyland on crack. And, uh, (laughs) I thought that was pretty accurate because I was like, we went to Disneyland a lot, probably more than we went to class. Um, but it was just, it was, uh, (laughs) but I really did have good experiences, um, academically there and, you know, studying the Bible academically is so different from being in church. Because my, at least the professors I had, they weren't there to evangelize to me. They weren't there to try to, you know, convince me of, of anything, which I really appreciated. Um, all the religion professors, they were very much like, I want you to think for yourself. I want you to study this. I want you to wrestle with this. So as I studied the Bible for the first time academically, I was like, oh man, (laughs) like there's a lot of here that I take issue with. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I, you know, like it just, it doesn't reconcile. I, I've always, I grew up in a very conservative area, very conservative family, but I kind of kept quiet that like, I don't really agree with a lot of this shit, you know, like I couldn't say any of that because my dad was also very conservative, very homophobic, very racist, like all the things that he believed I didn't, but like, I wasn't gonna, you know, I wasn't able to, to be, um, open about that. And Vanguard, I was finally able to kind of explore those more liberal ideals that I'd always, um, you know, I'd always definitely gravitated more toward, but didn't have the permission, you know, and Vanguard was a lot more, um, I don't know. I mean, they definitely weren't, I wouldn't consider them a liberal school, but a lot of the professors, I would say, were more liberal leaning and, um, were willing to have those conversations. So I, I loved that. And then I was also for the first time, like really studying evolution and what that means. And that it wasn't actually that scary or terrible of a thing. And I was like, <laughs> you know, and so by the time I'm in my senior year, I'm like, I don't think I believe this stuff anymore. Like I just don't, so I, right. I'm studying, you know, I'm studying English and I'm, you know, I'm loving the English department. I figured out that I'm a playwright. I started becoming, um, you know, writing plays and, um, wow. working on, you know, it, I got a lot of writing done when I was at Vanguard. Um, but I was like, I don't think I 
believe in the Bible as, you know, an inerrant factual kind of story. I was like, I, I really appreciate the Bible as literature and as like, you know, I think I can glean a lot of things from the stories, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't, I don't believe this. And, and so my senior year, I remember meeting up with one of my religion professors and um, we went to lunch and I just remember like telling him, like kind of laying it all out there and being like, this is where I'm at. Like, I don't, I don't think I believe in God anymore. And I basically was like, you got to help me. Like, you're super smart. You have your doctorate. Like, you got to be able to tell me, you know, like, <laughs> fix this for me. You right. Know? And, um, and he was like, I can't do that for you, Ashley. He's like, that's not how it works. I'm not going to be able to just like, you know, give you something that you don't have. You know, he's like, this is, he, he gave me some suggestions of like, you know, I think you'd really be into reading the mystics, which I did for a while reading the Christian mystics. And, um, you know, I really loved reading the Gnostic gospels and things. And, um, but at the end of the day, he was like, you have to go on your journey of how, you know, what, what you think you can't force something that's, that's not there. And that was, that was like disappointing. Cause I was like, but I don't want to like, but I don't want to lose this, you know, because I'm like, then so much of my life would have been for nothing, you know, because I, I did, I, I kept myself from doing so much because of my faith, you know, I kept myself from experiencing things. I, I was an asshole to people because of, you know, I thought I was better because of whatever, yeah, because I'm yeah. a Christian. I missed out on relationships and, and friendships with people because I was a Christian and they weren't. And I ultimately, I really believed like, you know, I got to obey my, my parents and, and namely my father, even though he's a narcissist. And so like, if that were, if I don't believe this stuff anymore then everything that I've done has been for nothing. And it was such a crisis of, of faith. Um, but you know, I, at the end of the day, like I couldn't, um, I couldn't continue to pretend anymore, you know, and I, I couldn't, um, I just couldn't reconcile it. There was just too much, you know, I, I, was figuring out my sexuality. I was like, you know, growing up, I was always told you got to find a man, you got to find a man. And I was like, I wish I would have known, like, it's okay if you don't like, I mean, I, I, I do like men, but also like, I wish it would have been open for, for me to like explore that a little more. Like maybe I like women too. Maybe these like, you know, girls in my youth group that are a few years older than me that I'm like, Oh, I really wish she was my big sister. Looking back, I'm like, I had a crush on her and like, and that's okay. Like, why did I, but like, I was never allowed to explore my, my sexuality and realize, like, realize that I was bisexual, realize that, you know, I, I don't believe in so many of these things. Um, and so after that, it became just a journey you know, just kind of one thing after another where I was like, nope, this doesn't work. And mm. it was just like a, you know, domino effect where I was like, I just don't believe this anymore. And so I, I guess I would identify as a, as an atheist or atheist agnostic, not in the sense that I'm like a, you know, a militant atheist where I think everybody needs to denounce their belief. Cause I feel like that's, it's like being a Christian only you just are evangelizing something else. Right. Um, right. So, you know, but, um, but that's kind of where I land now theologically. Um, and then between graduation of college, um, till now I moved back to Colorado. I got married. My, that was another big thing. My, my husband, he grew up 
um, not religious at all. Just, you know, his family, his parents are hippies. Like, you know, he was very <laughs> much not, you know, he was, he had like a very outdoorsy tree hugging childhood. And um, that was a huge part of it too, is like, I fell in love with someone who doesn't have a faith in God. And yet, you know, he is much more of a loving, compassionate person who treats me well, better than any of these Christian boyfriends I ever had, you know, before him in college and stuff. So uh, that was a huge thing too. And, and my family, strangely enough, was very supportive of the relationship um, because like, he's just such a good guy. And it was almost like, you know, they, they didn't have the sit down talk of like, what do you believe? I think a lot of them just assumed he was a Christian or, you know, something because of like yeah. how good of a person he was. Like it was, that was kind of funny. But, um, once we got married, that's when I kind of felt a lot more, um, bold in letting people know, or at least being a little bit more open about like, I don't believe this stuff anymore. We don't go to church. We don't, you know, this isn't something that we, that I'm part of anymore. Um, and then, you know, and now I'm pretty much like out of the closet as an atheist, um, as non-binary, as bisexual, like I'm just all out now because <laughs> I have, um, I've ended contact with my narcissist dad, which took a long time, you know, which happens with narcissists. You kind of go back and forth yeah. and have a for a while then we didn't and then um you know a big part of it is my husband and i don't want to have kids we we love our nieces and nephews we love kids we just yeah. don't want our own um we love to babysit for everybody but it's like no we just don't want our own my dad was very upset about that um and he he was like you know i'll pay for you guys to get in vitro fertilization i'll pay for you guys to adopt like it's always money with this guy and so i realized right. like like I'm, I'm thin now, but he still has other stuff that he wants, you know, that he, uh, that he very much like wants to control my life with. And, um, and that's, you know, that's hard because as a guy who's so wealthy, you know, he helped us out for a long time. And so being in, in good graces with him was important financially, which is, I, you know, that's, that's just part of how narcissists work. Um, right. but we were finally like, nope, we don't want to you know, I was like, and I came clean about it. I was like, we're not, I was like, we're liberal. We're registered Democrats. We don't want kids. We don't go to church. We don't believe in God. And, um, you know, he, again, like he was very upset about that. And, um, and in his narcissist controlling way was like, okay, then I'm not gonna, you know, give you any more money. And it's like, okay, fine. Like, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't care. But, um, but after that, I'm like, cool, I can do whatever the, I can say whatever the fuck I want now because, um, you know, I don't have, and it sucks and it sucks that my financial dependence on my dad lasted as long as it did, you know, even into marriage, even into, you know, being a, an adult with a job, but it's like, dude, that's just, that's what they want though. That's what narcissists try to do. And, yeah. um, and so like, I, it's, it's been, um, yeah, it's been interesting because like, I, like when, when the election of Donald Trump happened, None of that was surprising to me because it was like, this is the exact Christianity I grew up around, you know, rich white guys who are racist and they're bullies and they say shit. I was like, Donald Trump is like the, of course, like my, my dad loves this guy, you know, like my dad didn't like George Bush or, um, or John McCain because they weren't conservative enough for him. Like, 
that was if, if that gives you any picture of like what wow. you know when when uh, Obama and McCain ran against each other, my dad didn't vote for either because he felt like McCain wasn't conservative enough um, to be to be president. It was like this protest, like I'm not going to vote kind of thing. And so Donald Trump was like the person who kind of came forward and gave all those guys permission, I think, to kind of like, he gave them a platform, right? And so like, none of that stuff was surprising to me. And that drew drove a huge wedge between, between us for a while, you know, where I was like, I'm not like, I can't have a relationship with my dad who voted for this guy. And like, you know, but but again, like, it didn't, it didn't surprise me. Um, but I was like, I'm not going to be part of this. Like, I'm not going to be part of like you posting shit on Facebook. I'm not going to, you know, like I I had to really come to terms with that. And, um, and so I, uh, you know, I, I finally now, um, you know, have gone no contact with him, um, which has had a lot of repercussions. I mean, one of my four siblings still talks to me because there's the others are so on my dad's side um which sucks like you know but it's like i get it because that's how narcissists work and that's how you know they pull people into their web um my when i oh backing up when i was in college my parents ended up getting a divorce which was awesome um i was so happy about that like i was like i've always thought my mom deserves way better i am and i still have a great relationship with my mom i'm just so glad she it was such an abusive marriage and i'm so glad she got out of it but like growing up in church Everyone encouraged them to stay together. Everyone encouraged my mom to stay with him because even though he was a terrible person to her. um, And I was just uh, like, that was kind of one of the best parts of college was like getting that call. And I I don't mean to sound, I know divorce sucks in its own way. And I'm not saying it doesn't, especially when you have kids together and stuff. But I was just like, thank God, like finally, you know, it was a long time coming and I'm so glad she got out of that. Um, So I still have a great relationship with my mom. She's still very accepting that my husband and I are just on our own journey and that we, um, you know, we don't have, like, she still believes in God and has a Christian faith, but she's not um, trying to push that on us. And um, really it just comes down to like, you know, she loves us and that's all that, all that matters. And um, my mom's really come a long way. Like she used to say, like, you know, I'm praying for you. Like if I would tell her something and she's like, Oh, I'll pray for you. And now she's kind of, realized that because I'm an atheist that may not land well. So she's like started rephrasing things like I'm sending good energy your way. I'm sending good vibes. And like, that's huge for me, you know, like to have someone who's a Christian kind of yeah. alter those things and, and say that. And, um, you know, she's like sending positive energy your way, which I'm like, that's cute. Like that's, that's cool. She's being respectful of my, you know, my choice to walk away from this, this faith. And so I, I don't know. I feel like my my faith deconstruction was like part intellectual because I didn't believe in it anymore. But mm-hmm. then it was part um, part trauma, really, because I was like, there's just so much freaking trauma that comes from, um, you know, growing up with someone like my dad and, and that my my literal anatomy right now reflects his. Mm fat phobia reflects the way that he sees me, you know, and that's something I have to deal with for, for the rest of my life, you know, and like, and I'm okay now I had a, uh, or 2020, I, I had really terrible anemia, um, and had to get, uh, iron infusions and almost died from being so low in iron. Oh um, but I'm okay now and like, but that's the thing is like, I didn't know the long-term effects of this 
of this kind of a surgery, you know, and, and neither did my dad, but he didn't care, you know? And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm okay now, but I know that this is like, I'm just going to have to be dealing with health stuff for the rest of my life because you can't get enough nutrients when your stomach is the size of a magic marker, you know, it's like, so there's just like, I, I don't know, I guess like that's sort of what make what makes me who I am in a sense, but then like in another sense, I'm still, I don't know, like I'm still the same, like Ashley who, you know, I love kids. I, I am creative. I am still, you know, very much a family person for the family that still <laughs> speaks to me. Um, yeah. you know, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a journey and I have finally, um, been able to be very open about it because I don't have anything to lose anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very quiet about it and, and very quiet about how I felt about my dad because like, you know, he was still my, and my husband and I were young, like very first married and we didn't make a lot of money. And so it was like, I, a lot of it is like, I needed to just not say anything because my dad was helping us out financially. Um, but now it's like, I, I don't care. Like I, I wouldn't, I am much happier, um, you know, just not having his, uh, you know, his monthly, bank account deposits and and being able to be who I am. Um, and I just, you know, wish I'd done it earlier, but, um, yeah, I've been able, like Twitter's been a great space for me to really open up about this and, uh, just I've connected with so many people on Twitter who are also former Christians. And, and, you know, that's how you and I came, became friends too, is just like talk, having these conversations. And, um, you know, I, I think that, I, I kind of, I don't know, my presence on Twitter is interesting because I go from like, I talk a lot about trauma and then I just like, I like to kind of push the limits with like blasphemy and things like that. And, and I, I don't know, I, I, kind of, I enjoy the space. I enjoy the friends I've made. And um, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm on like some kind of mission to to really prove anything or, or preach anything. It's like, this is just my story. This is where I land. I I still have a lot of friends and family in Christianity that I, I love their, um, I, I still have a lot of respect for their faith because they still do it in such a way that is, you know, still they still practice their faith in a way that's beautiful and not harmful. So I, again, I'm not an atheist who wants everybody to stop believing in God. I just, I think though that this Americanized Christianity of the white Republican <laughs> variant is, uh, is, is very toxic. And that is something I will always speak out against, um, because I was so enmeshed in it for so long. So I don't know, I guess that's kind of where I, where I land right now, but yeah. wow. Wow. No, I, a lot. no, <laughs> no, this is, I'm just sitting here and I know this is all audio, but I'm seriously just like, just the facial expression. I'm like, wow. I mean, the amount of stuff that's just wild. That is wild. Yeah. Um, so I, okay. So I got, I got, I got so many questions and I know I, I got limited time, but I, but let me at least ask this, like what, well, first and foremost, how have you navigated, you know, the, the pandemic that are, we're obviously still in and, and, you know, and how has that switched stuff up? Um, I gather from some of your posts that you are, uh, you code, you do some techie type computer things, right? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm I'm in a cybersecurity boot camp right now. I'm okay. in the process of switching careers. Um, so that's like that's what I'm in school for. Um, 
I, I was a teacher for a while. I, I taught for five years preschool. Um, and then uh, during the pandemic, it just got crazy, you know, and I ended up leaving my teaching job in 2020. And then since then, I've just been working for, for FedEx, which is fun, but also like kills my body. Um, right. But, um, but yeah, so like during the pandemic, I have continued going to work. Um, so I haven't been like stuck at home, you know, it's been more of, it's a job where you do interact with the public and you're, you know, you're delivering packages and stuff. So that's been crazy and stressful, but, um, yeah, I, I am switching careers into the tech field, which is really cool. And, um, I, yeah, I, I like it because it's so like, you know, it's like, there's always a, a, an answer. There's like, it is, it is way more, um, straightforward and it kind of forces me to have a different mindset of, you know, Hey, there's a, it feels so emotionally neutral, I guess. Yeah. In the sense that like, I have a lot of anxiety and trauma and, um, fields that have to do with the humanities, oftentimes, you know, writing or social work or anything like that, that those things really impact me. And so it's been really nice switching to a field that is, um, yeah, more on the, on the tech side of things. So that's kind of what I've been doing during the pandemic is, school and, and work and yeah. Well, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts and, 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 and I love that. I mean, that's just it. I mean, I know uh, my partner does uh, HR work and she's been, it's amazing just to see how much jobs have turned around, right. In just the last two years um, and how much of the market, right. Cause it's like once upon a time, no one believed that, Oh, we could do all this stuff online and we can have virtual meetings and exchange documents. Right. The old school mantra of you got to be in your butt in the seat eight o'clock in the morning. You got to work eight to five or whatever. Um, yeah. How then? And I and let me go back theologically, because uh, there was a post the other day by Kevin Garcia that I absolutely loved. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was just talking about how because, you know, you always hear in churches like all oh, this next generation of youth and they're on fire and they're blowing up and they're doing all this stuff. How I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. I mean, because I feel like the church has been I know Colorado Springs well because I was with Young Life for a long time and going, you know, it's like with the Mecca, right, of Christian nonprofit Mm -hmm. organizations. Right. It's like Mm -hmm. they're all there. And um, and so for a long time, right, I felt there was this obsession with young people. Let's bring them back to the cross. And oh, I mean, they said the same thing. I, I claim Gen X. Same thing they said about Gen Xers, right? They're like, oh, they're going to be, that's the new generation. Then the millennials came and all oh, the millennials are going to save us. And then we're not sure whether we're Y or Z, but now people are saying, yes, there's. So I'm like, what are your thoughts on some of that stuff, especially given your experience, even where you're at now? Um, and just particularly so many organizations that are still trying to go out and reach them. I don't know. I'd be curious just to hear just genuinely asking like what your thoughts mm-hmm. are and, 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 and thinking about that. Cause I think all of us have come from, I, I'll speak for myself, have come from that strong evangelical fundamentalist. I am going to, you know, evangelize you and get another notch on my belt, you know, for church mm-hmm. members to see, like I brought this person in kind of like some Christian Amway crap. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, I was very involved in, in youth groups. I went on a lot of mission trips and, um, you know, both as a student and as like a, a, a leader. And, um, it's always like, yeah, youth, I feel like in general on those types of 
in those situations, they are like they're they are on fire in the sense that they, you know, it's like you're young and this is all very passionate. And that's, you know, that's just how that age group is. But like I was, I mean, my my uh, experiences working in youth groups and youth ministry and mission trips was largely positive. And I felt like, um, you know, I, I would go on those trips and just have a whole new appreciation for like how awesome high schoolers are and how like compassionate and sweet and, and like, um, smart they are. And so I, I would always feel very optimistic about, um, about the world after spending time with, with youth. And, and I, I feel that way about children in general, you know, that I being around kids, I, I always feel like, you know, yeah, these are like, this generation is, is going to be better. Um, I'm not as familiar with like where youth ministry is right now, just because I'm not in that world anymore. But like, it sounds like there's been a shift in, um, you know, in Christianity where kids and um, young people are asking more questions and really like standing up to the the powers that be um, in these, in these things and being like, Hey, like I, I can be a Christian and be gay. I can be. And, and so it seems like there's, there's a shift and an evolution in, in that. Um, I think a lot of it has been just the advent of, of the internet and the, uh, yeah. the access to information out there, the access to people who feel the same way that you do the access to um, more resources and more voices. And so like, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of TikTok. I see a lot of um, a lot of kids really just like sharing their stories and like having their, um, I don't know. I think, I think again, you, you expose yourself to more voices, your mindset is going to change. And so, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I, at least I hope that this generation of, uh, Christians, um, young, young Christians, if they, that they, I would hope that they feel more open to, um, you know, maybe not just taking the Bible literally, but like, Hey, I can still have a spirituality, but it doesn't have to be, um, you know, this rigid thing that, that is so, you know, entrenched in, in politics and all this other crap. So I, I don't know, I always have hope for, for the younger generations and maybe that's too optimistic, but yeah. No, I love that. I love that. I mean, I, and, and you're right. I think the, the internet has opened up a lot of avenues, right? Just the, I mean, that's what I always tell my students in my, in my intro to media class, that just the sheer amount of information and data that we, you know, download in one day. I mean, there's just a lot of information out there. So, you know, we can no longer say, you know, particularly, right. was like, you can't just, well, people still do believe everything the pastor says, but it's becoming less and less of a thing, particularly with younger generations. Um, well, let me ask you this. What advice then would you have for somebody who is still stuck in some of those areas that you were stuck in. I mean, again, your story is just amazing. I'm, I'm waiting for the book uh, to, to come out um, and I, I will buy I it. I wrote a play about it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I said I wrote a play about my my story, but oh, yeah. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and I just, yeah, what, what thoughts? Because I, you know, part of the audience, at least folks that have shared with me, you know, is that, hey, you know, I've, I've listened to this and I heard a couple of guests say X, Y, Z, and I was able to move, you know, out this way or I was able to move, you know, that way because I'm sure this type of abuse, right, is, is particularly going on. And like you said, Trump just kind of exposed what was already there in the dark. I mean, I knew he was going to win in 2016 as well. I was just like, oh, this fool going to win. I mean, it's like, I don't know why y'all keep thinking, oh, <laughs> that he's not um and it's and and the shit ain't over right and it's like but that's that's another conversation but my point in is in asking you that again is just what thoughts do you have on folks who are still experiencing some of this stuff and just trying to figure out which way is up because i can imagine there's a lot of that involved yeah. yeah i mean i it's hard because like when you're in it it's it's hard to kind of see the forest for the trees and so um you know, I don't, I don't fault anyone obviously for still being in it, but, um, I would say like, there's, um, there's so much beauty to be found in just like taking a step back and, um, and kind of reevaluating things and like, don't be afraid to, you know, don't be afraid to just like walk away for a while. Cause like, if, I don't know, my, my whole thought process was like, if God is real and if, you know, his, his love abounds forever. Like he's not going to care if you take a step back to kind of like, you know, walk away. And and if he is everywhere, he's going to be there, whether you continue going to church or, or not, but it's like, you know, you think of it as like an elimination diet of your, of your spirituality, you know, to if, like, what is it that's, that's causing this? Like, is it the church? Is it your, your friendships with other Christians? Like, you know, start like kind of, I don't know, like give yourself permission to walk away for a little while. And, um, I, I found that when I did, I didn't want to go back, but like not, you know, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that like, I realized that wasn't serving me anymore. Like it, it worked until it didn't. And I, I was able to, you know, realize like, Hey, this thing I had, I thought it was a belief in God was actually a reaction to trauma and like, and that's okay. You know, and like, it wasn't all for nothing because it served its purpose. Like, you know, for, for these, whatever, 10 years of my life or through my teen years, it gave me strength. And so like, and, and I can look at that now and be like, that's just, that's who I was. I didn't know what I didn't know. So like, give yourself permission and give yourself, um, I don't know, like to borrow from Christianese, give yourself grace and, <laughs> you know, like allow yourself to, to walk away because like nothing's gonna, yeah, nothing's going to change if you just stay where you're at. So I, I would encourage anyone, I'm not saying leave the faith, but like, you know, just kind of like dive into those things. Don't be afraid of your own questions. And I'm, I'm much happier now than I, than I was when I was a Christian. I definitely went through a period of grief, you know, like grieving God, which is weird to say, because I, I don't, believe in a in a god in that way but like i guess grieving what i thought was a relationship with him um and what i thought was comfort and i it took me a while it yeah so it's like yeah you're probably gonna grieve and it's probably gonna suck but like dude like do it anyway like i am much better mentally yeah (laughs) you know yeah no, I love that. I love that. And I love that deconstruction process. I mean, you're right. It is an ass kicker. Um, having come out of, again, different environments, but having come out of very fundamentalist backgrounds and then, you know, excommunicated and then just trying to figure out 
okay, which way is up? Because you, like you said, there's a sense of comfort that sets as you even as you were talking about, it, I'm like, man, yeah, there is a sense of like, oh, okay, so if I die, this is what's going to happen next, you know, and if and this is what's going to be for the end of time. So the world can get, you know, we can put all the carbon emissions we want in the world because God's going to come back and fix it. And we don't have to worry about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you kind of get to the reality and realization that, oh, wait, wait. okay hold up let's let's have this conversation again it's it it puts a different spin on it um so what's going on now for you what are you thinking in terms of the next five years we got pandemic we got 2022 midterm elections we got um increasing craziness going on in terms of white radicals you know saying um we got uh at least well at least today in chicago it's cold um it hasn't been we've had a pretty mild winter in general um we haven't you know i mean we got snow now but it it just hasn't been that way um and so you know this you know this climate this whole climate change thing is going on and i don't know i'm being just curious you know at the same time there's the 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 what is it that's the the, the james webb telescope right that's that's out there a million miles from earth and all that good stuff (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's it's very optimistic of you to assume that there's going to be a next five years. But um, <laughs> right, <laughs> assuming there is. Yeah, gosh, I am like, I don't know. The pandemic has made me so disgruntled with capitalism, mm-hmm. with um, with workers' rights, with um, yes. like this is such like it. I mean, I always knew it was bullshit, but man, like it's it's such bullshit. So I, you know, I'm always. Um, looking for the next revolution of, of people that are like, this is, you know, we, we can't live this way anymore. I want to see a reform in healthcare. I want to see a reform in, um, you know, wages, minimum wage, like all these different things that like, I, I don't know, I, I, I am always going to be advocating for, for those kinds of things. Um, yeah, definitely, uh, climate change is, is scary. I feel like there's just been so much, like in Colorado, we had really crazy fires, like out of I nowhere. Heard, yeah. Yeah. Like we're, I'm in Fort Collins, so I'm kind of close to Boulder, but I'm like, yeah, that's just, it was a little too close for, for comfort. And I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's sort of a joke, but also not my husband and I are like, I'm so glad we do not have kids. Like, because I'm like, yeah. this is world is scary. Like just the, the physical state of the world is, is scary. And, um, gosh, I don't know. I, I want to, I guess my, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to like learn and educate myself and advocate for, for things that, um, are going to make this world a better place. But I also am just like, I don't know if we, if it's too late, I don't know if anyone's ever going to, you know, do anything about this. So I I gravitate between like feeling hopeless (laughs) and also, you know, feeling, um, optimistic and yeah, it's, it's really, it's a lot. Um, you know, and I, I think that when the, in, in 2020, when the protests were happening, um, across the nation, that was so eye opening to see like, um, I guess just like how many relationships and friendships I had that, um, with people who just are so, um, they're so pro law enforcement and so, like unwilling to like realize that the system needs to change. And, um, and I feel like I, I've always been kind of shy to have those conversations with people because I, I'm like, I don't know if I have much to add to the conversation. I want to be a good ally and I want to, you know, amplify other voices because like, you know, I'm, 
largely a, a privileged white woman. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm trying to learn how I can contribute to the conversation. And so, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a lot and I've, I've felt exhausted, but I have to remember, like, it's nowhere near the exhaustion that, that other people are, are feeling, um, who are actually in it. And, um, you know, for, for black people, this is not a, you know, conversation that they're having at Thanksgiving that their cousin's going to get mad at them about. Like, this is real life. And and so, like, the worst that could happen for me in trying to stand up for what I believe in is that I have, you know, family members or friends who are going to get mad at me on Facebook. Like, oh, well, you know, and I, just, like, I need to get over that. Um, and, uh, and I probably just need to delete Facebook, honestly. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I hear that. <laughs> but I, I don't know, it's, um, I, I want to, um, yeah, I, I, again, like my husband and I are just, we've just been really like educating ourselves and trying to amplify other voices and, um, realizing that, you know, it's more than just us having a black lives matter flag on our front door. It's, it's actually like doing the work and, and listening to other people and, um, and standing up for what we, what we believe in. Um, even if our, you know, like, even if other white people are going to get butthurt about it, you know? And, um, <laughs> so yeah. I, yeah, I, I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exhausting though. I think that the pandemic has exhausted everybody. And, um, I don't know. I, I am not, I honestly don't know what to think about the next five years or so. I, I think that I have, I, I have met a lot of people online that I think are lovely and who are, doing work to change the world. And I, you know, I have hope there. Um, but yeah, it's day to day. It's hard. Definitely. Yeah. No, that's real. I appreciate that. That's a, that's a real answer. That's, 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 that's realist. Um, I think that, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, just kind of just, you know, was where we're at and, um, yeah, it's, it's difficult not to get swooped up in that and, you know, turn into a full on prepper, you know, and have a whole, you know, whole closet filled with food and dry foods and all that stuff. Um, but I do harvest my water. So I try to get all the, the water that yeah. I can <laughs> just yeah. just in case, just in case. Um, well, Ashley, this has been amazing. This time has flown by. I am blown away by just what you've shared. Um, I love what you're doing on the Internet. The other night, the other day, you posted something about your most favorite fictional character. I thought that was hilarious. You know, and you put the uh, put, put, put white Jesus right up on there, right on the cross. And it was a gift, too. Man. You had all these things that were on there. Um that's hilarious. And uh, so I'm definitely going to point people to that. But where can folks find you? You know, they, you know, they want to come and, you know, hire you for some coding um, and uh, get, you know, get you hooked up in their cybersecurity web or, or maybe just follow some of them great uh, posts you put out. Yeah, uh, my Twitter handle is at Ash Dunstan and um, Instagram, Ashley Dunstan Writer. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess those are the kind of my two main platforms. And I, um, I have a fiction novel on amazon oh, okay. uh, called the strange it's about aliens and it's you know it's just kind of a, a teen drama but um it's fun so yeah i don't know if you're into 
into literature, but yeah, everything on probably my Twitter is a good place to start. And, okay. uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I'm always up for making new friends and new connections. So. Well, I love this. No. So this is, again, I appreciate you just again, taking the time. This has been great. And as yeah, always, Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is great. I, I definitely want to get you back, uh, again. I mean, there's, there's so many topics. I have a couple different series, right. Yeah. That I that I do, and I was just like, okay, I got to get Ashley back. And like I said, the hour for me just it felt like ten minutes. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's already well, it's twelve oh eight here. I'm sure it's eleven oh eight where you're at. But um, yeah. I'll put all these links in the show notes. I did not know you had a book. I am going to go check that out. And I did not know you were on Instagram as well. I'll look I'll look you up on there uh, and cool. tag you as well. So Ashley, once again, thank you so much for sharing all the stuff that you did. Uh, I love the work that you're doing. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.